The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. Today's topic is something that we've talked a little bit about before, but today's guest is really going to be able to illuminate this topic for us. And it's the vital role that honeybees play in our food system. And this really alarming trend that we're reading about just this past May, the Wall Street Journal reported that U.S. beekeepers lost one in three of their bees over the winter of 2012. And this is really a big deal. For those those of you who are thinking, well, just less bees to sting me if I'm walking around outside without my shoes on, it's much more important than that. And our guest today is going to illuminate that for us. Our guest is Ted Denard. He's the CEO of the Savannah Bee Company. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Ted. We're glad to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I'd like to begin by answering that ever-important question on everybody's mind when they hear about the declining bee population. Why should I care? How will this impact me? Can you help our listeners understand this important role that bees play in our ecosystem? Uh, I can certainly try and illuminate that. Uh, and you may have to stop me if I ramble on because I, that's a pretty pretty broad uh, answer. But it will be uh, – there's a million different ways. I mean, the most uh, important role that bees play and most you know, direct role in our life is in our food chain. And so, you know, they're vital for the pollination over, of over, you know, 100 of our important foods, the, the fruits and the nuts and the vegetables, you know, the healthy ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they play a role in through pollination. And um, some fruits and, and nuts, like almonds, you won't get a single one if you don't have bees. And um, generally, the honeybees increase the, the size and, and number of fruit by about a third. Wow. So, um, and I think that the Department of Ag says, you know, one in every three bites of food is attributed to honeybees in their pollination. So that's oh, wow. the most direct role. But, you know, the the plants depend upon bees for cross-pollination. Um, the uh, the birds and the animals depend on, you know, the, the fruits and nuts that, that are produced uh, as well. So, I mean, it's a, it's a big... Um, a big web. They are honeybees are a, a keystone species, meaning there are many, many, many other species that depend upon them. So when you take them out of the web, it, there's a it's a pretty big impact. Yeah, I was looking at an article online the other day, and there were 19 crops that they said would basically disappear without bees, and among them were things like you mentioned almonds, apples, blueberries, watermelon. Avocados, one of my favorites. Love my guacamole, and on and on. And so, yeah. So these are not um, exotic fruits that you know are are just sort of you know a niche market. These are really staple 
food groups that we that we depend upon. And so this is kind of a big deal. Help us understand, though, what's going on with the bee population. I mean, we see these articles every so often that the you know bees are in trouble, but give us some background. Give us the insider details of somebody who uh, has been a beekeeper for a long, long time. What's going on? Okay. Well, um, you know, honeybees, just, I think from the outside, people just take them for granted, and they don't understand, you know, the, the role they play. Um, and I have been a beekeeper for 35 years now, believe it or not. And uh, um, back in, when I first started, there was really only one little bacterial disease that you had to worry about in a beehive. Um, it was easily treated, and, and it, was, it's just, it was easy. Um, to keep bees, they just they survived and thrived, and they were all in the wild. And people that had gardens, um, you know, just they were there um, and mm-hmm. a part of everyday life. And then in the mid 1980s, these mites were introduced um, from another country. And there's two different ones: one that gets in their little breathing tubes, and one that is on them like a tick. Mm-hmm. And um, they started decimating the bee populations. So. By around 1990, uh, the reports were that 90% of all of the wild or feral honeybees were gone. Um, and so it was very alarming for beekeepers and for people in the agricultural industry, but, but the media never really reported it. So we, uh, you know, beekeepers have been struggling along fighting these mites and these viruses that they transmit, and the viruses keep morphing. Um, um, there was a beetle introduced in the late 90s, and then, you know, most recently there's been all this news about colony collapse disorder, CCD, mm-hmm. um, and there's, there's a big mystery of what exactly that is, and it's not completely solved. Um, there's no smoking gun, but, mm-hmm. um, but that's gotten a lot of people's attention, and, um, and, and, it's, and it's, it's alarming, um, I think well, do scientists have any idea? I mean, are there any theories about what's causing this? There are so many theories. <laughs> I mean, they've ranged from cell phones to, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Um, there's been a lot of um, talk about the neonicotinoids, this, these systemic um, chemicals that they, that they put, uh, you know, for insecticides and pesticides. Uh, mm-hmm that are really strange and weird and uh so the the chemical actually goes throughout the entire plant so that if the you know a, a pest insect bites it, it it dies or it or it just avoids it altogether so but but there'll be a little bit of it in the nectar of the plant and the honeybees and the bumblebees and will come and take that nectar and apparently it doesn't kill them but it can it disorients them where they can't really find their way back home so that's been one big target that people have been blaming and then the um but there's there's a, it's sort of like you know death by a thousand cuts um, uh-huh. there are so many factors out there um from i mean some of it is in the beekeeping industry where the commercial breeders people breed honeybees um like a breeder queen just mm-hmm. like they would a, a you know a cow or um you know and so you you want really good queen stock, and I think that we lost some genetic diversity. Uh-huh. So that is, you know, there just was not enough, um, you know, mixing up of of different types of of the bees. So that was um, that's one thing. There's there's pesticides and insecticides and habitat loss, and um, there's just 
you know, a whole a whole myriad, um, you know, group of, of things that could be. We, down here in Savannah, where I live, we have a plane that sprays malathion out to kill mosquitoes and just blankets the town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kills all insects. So it's... Um, it's kind of crazy. And and what have you seen in your own hives? I mean, what what kind of impact have you seen uh just, you know, with your own operations? Well, we don't treat with any chemicals on our hives and um and for years and years and years I I thought there's nothing wrong with my bees. I didn't lose any hives and uh-huh. uh and then over the last three years, I have lost a lot of hives. Some of it I could explain, and some of it was inexplicable. Like maybe there is something called colony collapse disorder that's a mystery. But, um, you know, up until the last year or so, I hadn't really seen that. Um, and so we, we, do, we do different little manipulations and use screen bottom boards and things to keep our bees healthy. Um uh-huh. Um, that that don't have chemicals, um, uh-huh. but so yeah, I have. Um, we've noticed some really strange behavior this year. The bees are swarming, and that's a that's actually a good thing because the old queen leaves with half the bees and starts a new hive. Um, and normally, the a queen they they leave about six or ten queen cells. The first queen that hatches out smells the other queens, and she'll go and kill them before they hatch. Um, this year, that doesn't happen. They, the queens just, everyone that hatches out takes some bees and leaves with those bees. And then it keeps happening and keeps happening until your hive is basically empty. And that oh. is extremely weird behavior. Hmm. That is weird. Now, help us understand this in a little bit more detail than what we what we opened the show with. If the bee population continues to decline and to exhibit all these strange behaviors, uh, what would be the impact on everyday people? What what would happen? Well, I think it would be one of these slow unfolding processes that might begin to accelerate um, as far as, you know, in, you know, where people could notice it. But like mm-hmm. we mentioned before, food would be initially impacted. Um so we, you know, we will find something to eat, right? <laughs> we can eat other things besides, um, you know, some of the things that bees pollinate. But it would be a much less varied diet. So um, we would notice a lot less variety in our stores. We would slowly, um, I mean, the birds and the animals would begin to, to suffer in ways that I don't think we know. Um, they did a study just recently uh, and showed that in Colorado, if you take out one of the bees, um, then I think of the lupine or what, you know, a certain flower, it only produced about a third as much seeds as normal. Um, so the flower world would begin to <laughs> be less uh, varied and, mm-hmm. and populous. And so, I mean, I think our world would slowly begin to um, unwind in a way um, that we, I don't think we really know, but it would impact us. Um, you know, variety of food, variety of wildlife, and, you know, and plant life. And so, um, and then I, I really don't know how bad it would get, but um, I sure hope we don't ever have to find out. Me too. Well, let me ask you this. Are you already beginning to see farmers move away from planting crops that rely on bee pollination because there's a shortage of bees? Or um, 
do you think farmers would do that in the future so that they kind of um, hedge their bets against losing their crop if they can't get the pollination services from the bees that they need? I, I, you know, absolutely that would happen. Um, it's kind of incredible that it hasn't happened already, but mm-hmm. uh, because the pollination services it's um, have become fairly expensive. And so, you know, the guys that have the almond orchards in California – they're having to pay a hundred and something dollars per hive. To, oh my to gosh! Get the beehives out there, and they literally need every surviving beehive in the spring that's in our country. Then, like 1.8 million hives need to be out there. So it's it's just crazy. So the guys that are doing you know um, an annual crop like you know strawberries or or something, watermelon, um, cucumbers you know, squash, all of that whole family, that cucurbit family, um, would certainly have to move on to something else. And um but wow. but so far that has not happened and, and farmers are, are you know, just having to pay a little more and charge a little more and I think, you know, food prices will have reflected that somewhat and would probably begin to reflect it even more if if, you know, the demand goes up. Um what I do think though is that beekeepers just like we've done for 30-something years, fighting these mites and viruses and things, we'll keep honeybees going. I just feel like it's so important, and um, I just we, we I think we'll figure something out, you know, what the answers are. Um, and for now, it's a lot of extra work and a lot of extra money um, mm-hmm. for beekeepers because you expect to lose about a third of your bees in the winter, so you increase the number of your hives in the late summer, fall, by that number so that, you know, when spring comes, you've, uh, you know, you've got a bunch of losses, but you kind of ended up with the net amount that you need to, to start the season. So it's just a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of money. Um, but this is an am- amazing it. part of the supply chain in our, our food system that I think a lot of us just don't understand. And I'm so glad that you're able to join us and talk more about this. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about an organization that Ted has just started that might just result in a few more hands uh, working at this great cause. Uh, if you want to check out the website during the break, you can go to www.thebeekeepers.com cause.org. Don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us, our guest today is Ted Dunnard. He is from Savannah, Georgia, and he's the CEO of the Savannah Bee Company. Now, recently, Ted has started a new nonprofit organization to address um, this issue that we're talking about, the the collapse of some of the bee populations throughout our country and around the world and the environmental causes for that and also what that could be doing to our food chain and our our supply of of good healthy food and his nonprofit organization is called the bee cause the website is thebeecause.org and we're going to talk about that during this segment ted tell us about your nonprofit organization the the mission behind this organization and how it differs from other organizations that are out there talking about you know the vital role of bees in our in our ecosystem well i uh, i love teaching and i love working with with kids and and so, and I do a fair amount of that, um, going to schools and having groups come here. And I, uh, I think I'm just a kid myself, basically, <laughs> at heart. <laughs> and especially when I talk about bees, because um, they're so exciting. And, and uh, so it was kind of a natural extension to to want to introduce, you know, the young, new, upcoming generation to to honeybees. So what I've noticed is. Um, you know, a lot of adults, and, and when you mention bees, they think sting, or they, you know, they don't initially think of the things that we've been talking about, about their important vital role in our ecosystems and in our lives and stuff. So I wanted to basically kind of start in, uh, with a brand new generation of, of um, kids and, and introduce them to it in a way where they grow up and it's just second nature to them and, and they know it. And so I, I feel like Anybody that learns and understands how important the bees are and is exposed to them ends up loving them, and so therefore they would want to protect them. So this is kind of a long-term, uh, um, you know, the the hail mary pass to try and uh, you know to to help out in the future. So this was this not necessarily an immediate you know solution to to uh, bee problems, but I feel like you know these children, if we can raise a whole generation that understands how important they are. They'll make those policy decisions that that keep bees in mind and their safety and well-being. Absolutely. Now, how exactly does the Bee Cause Project work? I mean, what exactly are you doing? Um, how you know? 
what is it exactly? It's not just a website well, <laughs> where you go for information. What What is it? Well, it is um, – well, I should start out saying it is in its infancy, so it, it's a very young um, – little not-for-profit. We're actually still waiting on some of the paperwork to, to come back to us. But, uh, but the, you know, with the stated mission to, you know, help raise a generation of, of kids that understand and, and um, appreciate and protect our noble little honeybees. And um, so, so that's what we are – that's the goal. So there's – we're – the main thing we're doing is putting an observation beehive, which is a, you know, a glass beehive – it's really tall and thin, and um, it, it, we mount them on the wall or in the window of schools. And so we've done about 13 or 14 schools so far, and we put them in libraries and in teachers' classrooms and in hallways and um, in lunchrooms even. And, uh, and, the, and the kids just love it. The bees come and go through a little tube that goes through the wall, and... And then the, the children and, and teachers and principals, they all get to watch the bees, the population build up and grow and store honey and come and go with pollen on their legs and do their little bee dances. And, uh, and the teachers can use that, you know, the beehive to teach, you know, simple science like, you know, insect life cycle of egg larva, pupa, mm-hmm. and adult. And, uh, but can do, you know, other stuff that relates to nature and, and you know, like we mentioned, some of the, the food pollination uh, topics. And, um, and we even hope that we can get a collaborative learning going on between all the schools where everybody is, in, you know, doing their observations, recording them, and then putting them somewhere on some central website where everybody can kind of learn, um, you know, we can get a bigger picture of what's going on. Um, so that would be a lot bigger and more, you know, science for the kids. So that's so um, cool. It that, is I mean, neat because we've really got neat. that idea. <laughs> yeah. So when a, if a school wants to get involved, um, what do they need to do? I mean, do they? How much money do they need, or what kind of facilities do they need in order to host a hive? What? What's the initial step? Well, you, the, the first one we ever did. Uh, was in Charleston, and there was a principal who had a really conservative uh, reputation, and she was gangbusters for it. We introduced it, you know, the idea to her, and she was all behind it and got it approved and pushed through, and she's so proud of it. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, first you need, you know, somebody in the administration that's going to champion the, the bee calls, right? And uh, um, and so, so given that, what someone would need to do is, uh, at least with us and the bee calls, what we are doing is having, we're giving the, bee, the schools a beehive. And it, it ends up being nearly 2000 bucks when it's all said and done. Wow. Um, and then we're asking the school to raise money to give another school a beehive. So that oh. they also learn, just, you know, the way I see honeybees is they have this, ripple effect of good that just keeps going um and when they're you know taking what they need for you know from the environment the nectar and pollen they're actually benefiting that flower and therefore the plant and therefore us and the birds and animals and um and so we want to kind of you know introduce that idea in a way with the kids so they're given a beehive and then they give one to someone else um Mm -hmm. another school so it's sort of a pay it forward and i feel like that will 
it's a small and subtle thing, but it, I think it makes them feel good about what they're doing, and that's I think that's an important, um, you know, Absolutely. lesson learned. Absolutely. And do you, does your organization actually go in and, and build the hive and, you know, install everything? Well, we have, so again, like, so we're working out all the details. So the phase one, which we're nearly all the way through, is to install 20 hives, you know, in, in, in 20 different schools in Savannah and Charleston. Okay. And, and in so doing, we're kind of working out all the kinks and, 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 Figuring out what the maintenance is going to be, and and uh, and so the and just to make sure that you know we can actually pull this off. <laughs> right. It, the, mm-hmm. the problem is not having schools interested because there are so many students and teachers and principals and people that are interested. It's uh, it's really just kind of working out the the details. Um, mm-hmm. And so once we've done this and have kind of you know we feel like we've worked out all the kinks, we'd like to continue to expand the idea. Um, we also are going to have just the actual education piece that teachers could use where even if they didn't have a beehive, they could use, you know, a lot of the, you know, the information to teach kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that could be every school. Uh-huh. But, but my goal is to have a, a beehive in a thousand schools. So, um, that would be fantastic. It would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. You know, some kids, yeah, absolutely. Some kids are, are really allergic, well, and adults too, allergic to bee stings. And so, you know, we've seen in a lot of schools, you know, things like, you know, peanut allergies right. have, have kind of, you know, shaped school lunch behaviors and things like that. Um, how how does having a beehive on campus uh, interface with you know that concern? I mean, can can you have a beehive on campus without you know risking children's lives who are very very allergic? How does that work? So so far in the schools, um, people that you know know that they're allergic to to, to bees, um, or you know the, the principal has talked to the parents and everything, and and they understand. Uh, um, a, a couple of things. One is, this, you know, the student is not exposed to the bees um, um, per se. You know, they're in a glass hive. They're coming and going through, a, you know, a tube outside, and it's it's in an area where the the children aren't going to go and stick their finger in the hole. Um, <laughs> and certainly, anybody that's allergic would not do that. Yeah. Um, but so when and this is in nature, you, like if you have a beehive, let's say it's in a tree. You don't even know that they're up there, right? You know, you you might notice a bee here and a bee there on flowers and stuff, but that's not going to be that um, obvious to you. So you, the beehive could be in your in your yard, it could be in somebody's yard a mile away, um, and the same thing for schools. It, I don't believe that the schools are going to see that much of an increase, if any, in the number of bees around the the campus because mm-hmm. the bees come out and they have a you know they're you know the the word bee line is derived from bees uh-huh. um, because they you know they know where they're going and and when and they just are they're busy um they're not usually just wandering around if you, if if you take my meaning so they're right. they're flying off straight to some flowers coming right back to the hive and um and doing it again and again so um they have a purpose <laughs> they have a purpose and if the yep. flowers are in the school then bees from hives from all over are going to be there and these particular hives are about 
really a third or a fourth the size of a really big beehive, that, like a you know that you might have in your yard. You know those white boxes that you see that are stacked right. up, and they can be three or four or five high. Um, each one of those boxes has ten frames in it, usually. Um, and this, these observation hives, while they're fairly tall, um, there's only eight frames in it, so it's not a particularly large number of bees. Right. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, Ted, and when we come back, we'll be talking about the Savannah Bee Company and some of the things that uh, your company produces and, and the benefits of those products and the benefit of bees. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, if you just happen to be tuning in. Our guest today is Ted Dennard. He is the CEO of the Savannah Bee Company. And uh, we've been talking about the vital role that bees play in our ecosystem and our food chain and some of the the problems that beekeepers have been seeing within the bee population as of late. Um, as I mentioned at the opening of the show, the Wall Street Journal reported back in May that U.S. beekeepers have lost one in three bees uh, over the winter of 2012, and that's creating some incredible difficulty for crops that depend upon bee pollination, not to mention, you know, the, the livelihood of a lot of plant life and animal life that depend on the work that bees do. Ted, I hope you don't mind a personal question here, but how did you first get interested in bees and in beekeeping? 
Well, I was introduced to bees when I was, um, I think I was 12 or 13 years old, and an old gentleman, um, old Roy Hightower, um, this guy was a beekeeper, and he came rambling along in an old pickup truck, uh, and we had uh, 100 acres of land that was all forested, and my father and brother and I would go out there on the weekends. But anyway, old Roy showed up and put some bees on our land, and introduced me to the beehives and the bees and mainly honey. That's what I ended up loving. And, uh, and I've really been hooked ever since. Uh, that, but that's how I got started in it mm-hmm. 35 what, years ago. That's, that's awesome. And, and what made you take that hobby and that passion um, into a business? I mean, how, how did that happen? Tell us about your journey. Well, it was, you know, it was kind of like a journey with blinders on because um, I didn't really know where I was going, but I knew I loved bees. And um, old Roy ended up, he, he passed on, and I kept his bees up until I graduated from high school. Then I went to college. I had a, a landlord that had bees and a big vineyard, and uh, but uh worked with him on the beehives. And then I graduated and joined the Peace Corps, and they wanted me to teach beekeeping. And so I did that for a couple of years in Jamaica. Um, and then I just always have had bees around me and, and, uh, I had some hives here in Savannah and a friend of mine opened a store and wanted to put a few jars of honey in there. And, and then another store saw the jars in her store and then another store. Mm-hmm. And so I started getting all these phone calls saying they really wanted to sell our honey. And, um, and so that's how it started. And that was about 15 years ago, 14 years ago, um, and so over the course of two or three years, you know, there was just kind of word of mouth, and I, I didn't know anything about business, uh, didn't know if people had paid or didn't pay, or uh, <laughs> I just was having fun, and it was more of an art, really. But in the beginning of 2002, I printed a price sheet and the brochure and went to a, a big trade show gift mart thing in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, officially started the company. Um, and so it's just grown like wildfire ever since. And so what was your original vision for the company? I mean, was it just honey or, uh, you know, I know that you sell other things. How did that evolve? Well, and so the very first part was honey. And I love, you know, having been a beekeeper and worked with beekeepers and honey my whole life, I was kind of like a honey snob. And I knew that this one particular honey that I was making, um, Tupelo honey that's made from the flowers of that tree, was just so good um, that I wanted it to look better too. So I put it in really pretty bottles and um, and it, so it, it was it was attractive. Um, and that's what I think, you know, encouraged people to want to sell it. And um, so the honey part was in the beginning, um, but I, you end up with beeswax, and that's fun and exciting stuff because you can make lip balms and candles, and, and so I always did that as well. And then expanded the whole body care side into lotions and body butters made with royal jelly and propolis, and uh, we've got soaps and lotions, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole – we have <laughs> – anyway, we have a lot of stuff – uh, we even have a shampoo and a conditioner that's made with honey and royal no jelly shit. and things. Uh, it's just, it's fun. There's almost, you can almost make anything um, or everything using bee products, and um, and it's real healthy. 
Right. And and tell us, you know, more about the, uh, you know, the health benefits. Why is it healthy? Well, I, you know, it, it starts to sound like I'm a snake oil salesman if I start telling you all the benefits <laughs> oh, of ahead. honey and bees. But, but in general, um, you know, beekeepers are supposed to live longer than any other profession. Right. So, what? Really? so there's got to be something there that's healthy. Um, <laughs> and well, then uh, and but but specifically, you know, there's studies. I mean, honey's got, you know, minerals and, and um, so and some enzymes and, and especially raw honey is really good for you. And the pollen that you find in that is, is good for you. Um, the bee pollen has more protein than meat. It's every vitamin, amino acid, and trace element, mineral that you need, except for everything but vitamin D. Um, so it's just packed full of nutrition, and that's what bees eat is honey and pollen. And then they make something called royal jelly, which the way I understand it is uh, sort of the extracted goodness from the pollen that they eat, and they concentrate it, um, and that's what they feed the queen. And the queen, is, she's born a worker bee, and it's kind of like Cinderella. She's fed royal jelly, and she turns into a queen. And um, instead of living for six weeks like a, like a worker bee, she can live for, for years. And oh, wow. um, really the only difference is they eat honey and pollen, and she eats royal jelly. So um, there's a lot of um, you know, wonderful amino acids and things um, and antioxidants that are, are found in um, royal jelly and um, there's something called propolis and, and even bee venom. So um, people think of honey and, and they might think of bees wax. Those are two high products. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the bee pollen and the propolis and the royal jelly are, are, um, are the other ones. Even, and, and people can even use the venom. We don't use bee venom right now, but you can make creams and lotions that are supposed to be good for arthritis and joint pain and stuff. Oh my gosh! So it, Never heard of incredible. that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, tell us. You know, you've talked to beekeepers all over the place. You've traveled to other countries and and helped beekeepers. Tell us about some of those experiences in working within the beekeeping community um, all over the place. Well, um, I think the beekeepers. Uh, there's a common denominator, of course, which is the bees. Um, and then just the people that are going into these hives. And, and so there's an attachment and appreciation for nature that's just kind of, um, I mean, you, you kind of have to have that. And um, and if you didn't, you would ultimately learn that if you were keeping bees. Um, so, I, I don't know, beekeepers, I think we're all a little strange and eccentric. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we all love honeybees and, uh, and, and, you know, kind of appreciate, you know, their role and, and, and um, you know the the whole we we we're kind of nature people by uh-huh. definition I guess you could say that um, but there's all you know it's been um, it's been very fun you know I feel like beekeepers are always good people and um, I was in Italy this year working with a couple of beekeepers and um, and God, I'm so impressed with their operations unbelievable um, I was one time in Vietnam. Um, my brother and a friend and I were just on a little boat going down the Mekong River, and uh, we ended up pulling over next to some bridge and on a side canal, and and then, uh, you know, and I don't even know exactly how it happens, but some man is 
showing us his yard and garden, and then we're I'm in his beehive with him, and and uh, they have the little smaller bee over there, but uh, they make great honey, and um, somehow I don't know, it's just it's just fun. There's some kind of a, a mutual um, attraction between uh-huh. I guess bees and beekeepers all over the world. Well, are beekeepers in other parts of the world experiencing this same, you know, collapse in and loss of their bee population? Are they seeing this as well? I, I do think, yes, it, it is. It's a worldwide phenomena, and um, I don't know that it's, like, reported, been reported in every country, but um, but it could be. It's just, um, but definitely it's it's something that's, that people are experiencing all over, and I would one bit of clarification. You, you had mentioned earlier when we started that you know one out of every three honeybees is dead, but it's 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 what the entity is really the colony. That whole beehive is mm-hmm. a super organism, and so and there can be up to eighty thousand bees in one bee colony, um, and each one has differentiated duties, but they can't live without each each other, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's one unit, and that's what's dying. It's the entire collapse of the hive. Um, so it's it's um, you know I mentioned the honeybees live about six weeks, and it's kind of like skin cells. The queen mm-hmm. can lay thousands of eggs a day, and she can increase the population or decrease the population just by how many eggs she lays. But it's sort of like our you know our cells of our body. You you lose some and and grow some, and you never you never notice. Well, let me ask you this. You know, are are beekeepers involved at all in any sort of public policy issues to try and protect bees? I mean, um, you know, on Go Green Radio, we talk to a lot of folks who are active in things like uh, genetically modified organism public policy or, you know, reducing pesticides or chemicals, and they get involved in that kind of public policy. Is there, you know, I know there probably isn't a beekeeper lobby but is there a you know a common cause that beekeepers are involved with that addresses public policy issues that might protect bees yes yes absolutely there's um you know there are different organizations there's a, an american beekeeping federation and uh um but mainly i think what what it is is beekeepers just like anybody that's a concerned citizen will um, especially lately, kind of lobbying to to their you know congressmen um, you know to to vote you know for or against something and and mainly mm-hmm. lately it's been like for these weird chemicals these systemic chemicals um, the neonicotinoids and stuff that are going out there and so we're mm-hmm. trying to get a ban on that um, so people do rally behind that but it's more like you know kind of signing a petition type thing mm-hmm. rather than just an organization in and of itself that's just um, fighting for the bees. Although, you know, since this colony collapse has started up, there are, um, you know, there's a Save the Bees organization, and there's there's a few smaller little, you know, you know, starts. I guess you could call it. Uh-huh. When they say they'll say, "Oh, we saved you know two million bees," um, but when you think about it, that's not that. That's about thirty beehives, so it's not yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> it's not that big a deal. It's the big issues, and and there are scientists working on it in universities, and um, and certainly the government is interested in trying to figure out how to have honeybee help. Um, mm-hmm. Like you sort of alluded to that, and but the, this year for the first time ever, 
they the government issued a report saying that we don't have enough honeybees to pollinate our existing crops. So we've kind of we've just reached that threshold, mm-hmm. um, and so we really need to do something. But but on a positive note, there's been so many hobby beekeepers starting up bees. Mm-hmm. You know the you know just the hobby of keeping bees. Um, that I really feel like that's a great trend, and that's going to help increase the number of hives. Not necessarily the number of hives that will go pollinate our crops, but um, but it'll just create a healthier, you know, you know, natural beehive population out there, which will be great mm-hmm. for gardeners and, um, you know, just general ecosystem health. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, there'll be much more with Ted Denard. He's the CEO of the Savannah Bee Company. If you want to check out the website for his new nonprofit organization, which is helping schools get beehives and help kids understand the value of honeybees, um, you can check out that website while we're on break. That's www.thebeecause.org. And I want you to really, really take a look at ways that you can help, ways that you can support his efforts there. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio, folks, so don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. You know, today we're talking about honeybees and the important role that they play in our ecosystem. I'm going to read you a list of the following 
food uh, groups and fruits, nuts, vegetables that uh, rely on honeybees. And if you like any of these, then I want your ears to perk up because we're going to talk in this final segment about some things that we can all do to help protect our honeybees, which at the current moment are, are dying. We don't necessarily know exactly why. We have some good theories. But if you like apples, almonds, blueberries, watermelon, cherries, peaches, avocados, cucumbers, cranberries, onions, blackberries, grapefruit, oranges, raspberries, cantaloupe, pumpkins, pears, and plums, then you need honeybees. And right now, uh, honeybees are really struggling. And our guest today, Ted Dennard, who is the CEO of the Savannah Bee Company, has joined us. And we've been talking about um, some of the difficulties that the honeybee population has been going through, the decline of the, the colony populations, and what scientists think may be causing that. And, and as Ted had mentioned, it's a kind of a wide variety of, of issues. It could be pesticides. Uh, he mentioned that some scientists think there might be cell phone uh, signals that be, could be causing this. But the bottom line is we need bees and we need to protect them. And Ted, I'd love for you to talk to our listeners about ways that every person can get involved. I mean, we have listeners who live in apartments that may not be able to host a hive, but they can still do things, I'm sure, that would contribute to the well-being of our bee population. Talk to us about what we can do. Well, I think, you know, everybody can 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 help weigh in on on topics and issues um we just had talked about uh you know helping your congressman make smart decisions that are in the best interest of of the bees um and a lot of that has to do with different chemicals and and insecticides and things that, that are either banned or or they can use um that's something you know if you have i'm not an alarmist or anything but if you have to you know uh way on to one side or the other. I mean, why not do something that might help the honeybees, you know, um, like the neonicotinoids. We know that's some really strange stuff when you're doing systemic chemicals that are inside the plant. Um, you know, that's just a little strange. Um, the European Union has just put a two-year uh, moratorium and a ban on it while they do further study. Um, but the U.S. just uh, this year just passed it right on through. Mm-hmm. Um, no problem. So things like that um, weigh in on issues that are important. And there's a lot of little you can you can find the, these issues if you log on the internet. There's it's it's pretty uh, pervasive. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, support your honeybees through uh, you know the our um, wonderful democratic system. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but then specifically individually, you can plant flowers like really varied flowers, even if you're in an apartment. You know. Um, Plant. You can look up online bees like small flowers because their tongues are only so long, um, but lots of um, different colored flowers that have a, a you know that all don't they don't bloom at the same time. So that helps um, honeybees and and um, honeybees are, are really getting the limelight, um, but they're not the only pollinator. So mm-hmm. you've got butterflies and bumblebees and a bunch of other types of little bees. They don't do the same job as, as honeybees as far as just volume but um but they're all important mm-hmm. and so yeah i think everybody can do that are there things that we can look at in terms of using the power of the purse to 
to kind of sway uh, the market towards bee-friendly products? Like, for instance, are there things that if we bought more of or things that we bought less of could be helpful to the cause of, of protecting our bees? Well, you know, I think uh, the jury is still out there on whether the genetically modified crops are going to be good or bad for bees. You know, that's a little weird for me, <laughs> you know. Um, but but so personally, yeah, I, I don't buy the genetically modified foods, um, at least if I know that they are. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, the, the importance of labeling, uh, food labeling, is, is people should weigh in on um, and buy things, I feel like, that, that are, you know, I, I think the whole trend of buying local, natural, you know, stuff that's, that's in season, um, that's a, that, I think that's a, a good way to, to start because, because typically it's this beautiful poetic relationship between bees and, and this, you know, the plant world, um, you know, they're helping pollinate those crops that are coming off. And, uh, but yeah, buying, just, I think just buying fresh produce is, is one easy way, um, Certainly not buying chemicals. There's there's bee friendly chemicals and there's uh, chemicals you just shouldn't use, like seven dust and things that are just horrible killers for honeybees. Honeybees are hairy, so all those like powdered um, chemicals that people put out on their plants to try and protect them. Well, the bees then take that back to the hive and it just kills all of them. So yeah, really? things like like that are terrible. Yeah, so. Yeah, read labels, um, research what what is a bee friendly method of uh, you know protecting your your plants or flowers. You know, and, and you know one general rule of thumb is is you you would never you know spray or um, I mean you shouldn't dust anything, but never spray uh, or treat during the hours or times when when bees would be pollinating, which is basically daytime <laughs> so uh-huh. you you would like maybe do it right at the very end of the day or something if you needed to treat um but just just you know i think there's a lot of common sense involved um and i feel like you know when you take one step towards trying to be healthier get uh learn something about nature then ultimately you end up taking a second and you keep going down that road and you learn more and more and uh and then i think you end up with a broad understanding of of you know what's good for for the bees, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's usually just one big harmonious, keep everything natural <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. relationship. Um, well, on that, that on that sense. vein, you know, are how besides farmers, you know, purchasing the pollination services from beekeepers, how much are beekeepers and farmers working together on these issues? I mean, obviously, there's a decline in the bee population. That could impact the farmer's livelihood as well. Is there some formalized, institutionalized way of farmers and beekeepers putting their heads together to to address these issues? You know, I honestly don't know of a specific organization that, that's sort of a, a combination. Um, a lot of farmers are now becoming beekeepers because it's to their advantage and, and mm-hmm. ultimately will be less expensive for them to have their own beehives right. to pollinate their crops. So I think there's there's that's probably growing. Um, and so you'll have, you know, just, a, you know, people that are doing both farming and beekeeping. Um, and then... But you know, I think that the main thrust and and real work is kind of really it is coming out of the government and they're funding the universities 
to do a bunch of research. So you've got a lot of entomologists at different universities. There's a few bee labs around the country where they just study, um, you know, honeybees and health. And, and, and so they're, they're doing a lot of research on this. It's certainly exhaustive and it takes a long time, but, but, um, but they're getting, you know, some facts out there. Mm-hmm. So, and I think you could always, you know, you can call your state entomologist or email them or somehow contact them and, and get information that might be specific to your area um, mm-hmm. and both on ways to help the honeybees or, or, or what is harming them in your specific state. That might That's help. That's a great idea. You know, Ted, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I think, you know, the bottom line uh, for everybody to take away from this is love your bees. <laughs> we need them. And when you see an article that says that the bees are in trouble, that the bee population is declining, that matters to us. Every human being is eating the food that bees uh, make possible through their pollination. So please do get more educated visit ted's websites you can check out the savannah bee company you can also check out thebeecause.org and get more information and do what you can to protect the bees thanks so much for joining us ted and thanks so much to our listeners for joining us for go green radio we're going to be here same time same place next week with more go green radio and until then have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.